Chelsea Fairless. And welcome back to another episode of Every Outfit. Chelsea, it's so lovely to see you. <laughs> it's great to see you too. I forgot what you looked like. <laughs> you are over halfway through your four weddings in the month of June. Yes, I have four weddings in the month of June. At this point, I have done three of the four. What I really want to dig into is that this past weekend, you went to one wedding on a Saturday in New York, and then you had a wedding in Los Angeles on Sunday. How did that work out? I definitely sustained liver damage. (laughs) I was very worried that a pilot was going to call out with COVID and you weren't going to make it the flight back to LA. No, I mean, thankfully, God was on our side, you know? (laughs) Praise (laughs) Jesus. So... To back it up, the first wedding that I went to was my friend Katie's. That was the one that was in downtown LA. And it was at the California Club, which I've never been to, which is a very like ornate, old timey members only club. Yeah, I didn't even know it existed. But it was beautiful. She had really like contemporary flower arrangements. The entire band looked like Beck by way of Gucci. Like it was very chic. Ooh, Beck should be in a Gucci campaign. (laughs) But my shame with this, as you know, because I frantically texted you, is that I missed the ceremony. So I didn't know if you wanted to get into this on the podcast, but yes, you learned that when an invitation says 5 p.m., they actually mean 5 p.m. Well, they should have said 5 p.m. sharp. Okay. (laughs) Sharp, I respond to. 5 p.m. just means that's when the cocktail reception starts, except for there was no cocktail reception. But the one silver lining of missing the ceremony was that when I finally got there and Tat and I were like wandering around this insane building, we linked up with another girl that was also lost. And that girl was Lana Del Rey. Shut the fuck up. Lana Del Rey did make the ceremony, unlike me, but she promised that she wouldn't narc on me to the bride. I obviously had to keep my fandom inside. I can't believe you kept this to yourself for two weeks. This is the first I'm hearing that you ran into Lana Del Rey, you bitch. She's such a lovely person. I'm obsessed with her. And I knew that she was a friend of the couple, but I kind of forgot about it until that very moment. But I'm only talking about missing this wedding because the bride absolutely does not listen to the podcast. None of you narc on Chelsea, okay? (laughs) Yeah, please don't. And the next wedding was my friend Joanna's wedding. This was the one in Brooklyn. So Tat and I flew to New York and... This was very non-traditional. Like the bride wore this like giant tulle red Molly Goddard dress that was kind of giving like Winona Ryder and Beetlejuice energy. I could see that. And it was at a really cool venue. It was at this restaurant and performance space called the Turks Inn, which is like the Sistine Chapel of Kitsch. It's insane looking. And I guess it was an existing restaurant in Wisconsin that closed and then they auctioned off the entire restaurant, like the furniture, the art, the signage. And some enterprising couple like moved the whole thing to Brooklyn. Okay, that's genius. And also the most Brooklyn thing that is ever Brooklyn. (laughs) It's true. But that was really nice because I got to see like a lot of my old friends and I love the parents of my friend that got married. So it was cool to see them. But yeah, then I literally left the after party got three hours of sleep got up went to jfk and got on a 7 a.m flight to la my soul left my body in that security line it was like the worst security situation i've ever experienced at jfk and you can imagine what tat's mood was like it was actually hell but did you even experience a hangover or did you just sustain a level of tipsiness that just carried you through I was definitely still drunk when I woke up, but JFK was so sobering that then I became hungover. And like, no one should have to wear a mask when they're hungover. It's like the worst thing ever. So that was fucked. But yeah, we made it to LA and went to my friend Lauren's wedding, which was at another members only club. It was at San Vicente Bungalows, which would have been convenient had I been in LA because that's like a 15 minute drive from my house. But yeah, it was beautiful. Even though this one was black tie and it was at a very exclusive venue it felt very laid 
feedback. Did they make you put stickers on your cell phones? Which, no, we could take pictures. Which is something. For those of you who don't live in LA, at the San Vicente bungalows, they give you a sticker to put over both cameras. Front and back. They think that shit through. But yeah, it was beautiful. The bride is a very Carolyn Bissette-esque person. So the whole event had that energy. And she designed her own dress. And it was very like, very Galliano, very Carolyn Bissette. Beautiful. I love weddings. Like all of these weddings, even though it was kind of crazy having to go to three in the span of two weeks, none of them were like weddings that I was obligated to go to. You know, <laughs> you could have backed out at any point. You want these people to know you were there because you wanted to. I be. wanted to be there. And that's that's a big difference. Yeah, I think this might, as psychotic as this is, I think this might be better than having a wedding every two months that you have to travel for because, you know, you're just done. Yeah, except for I have one more and it's in Greece, which is great, but a lot of weddings. It's just fun seeing what everyone chooses to do with the different things, like the bands that people pick, the place cards that people design, the floral arrangements, like all of that shit. It's fun. Maybe you should do your vow renewal this year. Now that you have all these great <laughs> tips, you've been like, well, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't do that. I'd have this. I wouldn't have that. Yeah, I think that's a I think that's a 10 when Tad and I get to our 10 year anniversary kind of vibe. All right, I'll be there. <laughs> Unlike the first wedding, I'll be there for this one. Speaking of weddings, shall we talk about Britney's? Uh, yes, Britney Spears and her now husband, Sam Asgari. I don't know. Who cares? You guys are not here for our pronunciations, of course. But the longtime couple said I do last Thursday night. 60 guests were in attendance. Wait, only 60 guests? Well, she didn't have her mom, her dad, her sister, or her son. So that cut down on a lot. But still, I feel like there were 60 guests in that one group photo of like <laughs> Drew Barrymore and Selena Gomez and shit. That is funny to say that like she only had 60 guests, but those who did attend were the likes of Drew Barrymore, Madonna, Paris, and Kathy Hilton, Selena Gomez. That photo had a Ryan Murphy-esque quality to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I also felt like Madonna was my representative in a weird way because she was wearing this Dries Van Noten wrap dress that is like so not like anything that she would wear, but is totally something that I would wear. I love to see it. If we're doing that, then Drew Barrymore was my avatar because when I saw that photo, I was like, what is Drew Barrymore doing there? That was everyone's first thought. Everything else I could make sense of. Selena Gomez, I didn't know that they were close. And I find it interesting that out of all pop stars of that generation below Britney, that's the one that she vibes with. I mean, why not? Donatella Versace was in attendance because she did Britney's gown. The bride walked down the aisle to Elvis Presley's Can't Help Falling in Love. In an odd turn of events, because it was rumored that she was getting married on a Thursday, which do you think that's the new power celebrity move, getting married on a weekday? They're like, we don't have normal jobs. We don't need to get married on a weekend. We'll get married on a Tuesday if we feel like it. I think that's weird. You don't like that? It disrupts people's work week. I mean, Drew Barrymore's off from the talk show. They're on a summer hiatus. But there were rumors she was getting married on Thursday. And then bizarrely enough, her ex-husband not Kevin Federline but Jason Alexander the one she married for like 36 hours in Vegas not to be confused with <laughs> Seinfeld. George from Seinfeld and the rapist from Pretty Woman <laughs> broke into Britney's house live streamed himself walking around with a knife looking for her until her security team tackled him and he was arrested I was disturbed that he got that far not surprisingly she has since fired her security team terrifying what did you think of the dress it was more simple than i was expecting her to do it was very britney jean spears like i feel like it's it's obviously not my favorite dress but this is the essence of this woman but you're right it could have gone more disney adult and certainly everything else about the ceremony was that vibe yeah did you see the video of her in the horse-drawn carriage i loved that i love that the horses had the feathers on their heads just like cinderella i thought that looked really major actually and I was happy to hear a couple days ago, it came out that she has an ironclad prenup. Good on her. Yeah, love it. It's California, so it's community property laws. So the prenup is for anything that she made before, but anything within the marriage could be divvied up between them. So if she does an album, a Vegas tour, a... Uh, I kind of think she's just going to do her tell-all book and then retire. God, I hope so. 
Because after you've been forced to do that Vegas show against your will, like... You never want to go back. Yeah, why would you? And then Sydney Sweeney can play her in the biopic. Love it. But enough about weddings. What the fuck have you been doing? I've been hanging out with the people that I know that aren't you, surprisingly enough. Well, I'm glad to know that you have other friends because if you didn't, that would just be too much of a burden on me. Okay, you know? yeah. I don't want to burden you, especially as you're about to go to Europe for a month. Whatever will I do without you? No, but these are also people that I can bully into going to movies with me. So I've just been seeing a bunch of the summer popcorn films. So ask me questions. So you obviously saw Top Gun. Top Gun Maverick, baby. Was it good? It's good, but it is a film that... The cent- is Kelly McGillis in it? No. Who they choose to have back from the film and not back from the film is quite interesting because Val Kilmer is in the film, even though he cannot talk, and they work that into the storyline. Okay. Although at one point, there is an AI version of Val Kilmer's voice, but... They also kill Meg Ryan in the film. Like, not in the film, but sometime in between the last film and this film. Because Miles Teller plays the son of... Because people just will never cast her in anything ever again. Yeah. They kind of weave it into the plot, but it it just is unnecessary. I love that they'd rather have non-speaking Val Kilmer (laughs) before they'd have Meg Ryan or Kelly McGillis back. And you could easily have Meg Ryan talking to Miles Teller, who is the son of Goose, Anthony Edwards, and Meg Ryan in the film, all grown up. Just a scene of Meg Ryan FaceTiming with Miles Teller. Like, you don't even need to physically have her on set. So you would think that the tension between Maverick and Miles Teller is, oh, you killed my dad in the last film. It's not. It's like, you pulled my paper so I couldn't be in the Flight Academy. I don't know what you're talking about at all, because I haven't seen Top Gun since I was in high school, and I didn't really like it then. Whatever. The central premise of the film is drones are going to replace pilots, and then they give a mission that is so clearly something that humans cannot do. It proves the point and need for drones. (laughs) But with Tom Cruise's like pure, just like Scientology determination, he's like, no, people can do it. And they do. And there's a scene, there's a sequence towards the end of the film, which I won't spoil, but it's just to say that in any other movie, you would have the older generation sort of cede power over to the younger generation. But Tom Cruise refuses It's a film where, I'm sorry, Maverick should die. Because that's what a movie would be. And it's literally, Tom Cruise will not allow himself to be killed in a film. I've never really thought about that. It's like, he will wear a prosthetic dick and tidy whities (laughs) And play a men's rights activist. But yeah, death is not in his uh, repertoire. I think because he truly wants to die while doing a stunt during Mission Impossible. Like, and I hope he does. Yeah, let's let's fulfill that wish. I also saw Jurassic Park Dominion, which I had... Oh my God, that came out? Yeah, I have very mixed feelings not seeing that with you. Fuck, I didn't even know. Just this past weekend. Is it good? I feel like Top Gun is really overshadowing. You know... I was shocked at how low the Rotten Tomatoes score for it was. Like, it's in the 30s or something. Because it's a perfect film for what it is. Like, it just makes enough sense that you're like, okay, I... Great, that's like all of those movies. Yeah, I clearly missed a very important plot point by not watching the previous Jurassic World. Like, I saw the first one, but there was one in the middle that came out a couple years ago that I was like, I don't need to see that. Evidently, I did because they introduced (laughs) cloning a person, which is a... Wait, I think I missed that one too. Yes, which is a major plot point in this one that I'm like, all right, fine. I wonder what Luke thinks of it. Oh call my in God. And call in and tell us. Yes, Luke, you have to call and tell us what you thought about Jurassic Park Dominion. I think what won me over about this film that I was not expecting is the villain is a not Tim Cook, Tim Cook. Like he looks so much like the <laughs> Apple CEO, but is not. Okay. That I was just taken with it. And frankly, I want another one. I understand that this is supposed to be the conclusion and bring the original cast and the new cast together, but I want one more. Yeah. I hope they never stop making them. But uh, it builds off of the promise of Lost World where it's like, what if dinosaurs were just in the world with us? It doesn't seem like 
logistically possible. You would think that. And in the beginning, it's like, we have to, we've unleashed this thing that we have to control. And you're like, you're right. Like they show in the beginning of the film, there's a montage and there's fishermen in Alaska and a big dinosaur just comes up and smashes and brings their boat down. It's like, oh yeah, no, this cannot exist. (laughs) And then at the end... I mean, spoiler alert, but fuck it. They're just like, eh, we'll make it work. And it's like, how? <laughs> how? Because yeah, it's like, like you can't have like the T-Rex like at the farmer's market. Oh, man. Now you want you make me want to have that scene. And we then- need the LA Jurassic Park. That seems to make sense, right? They would try to build one here. I mean, we have the La Brea Tar Pits, yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's where they came from. That's where they used to live anyway. And then lastly, I watched an indie film that got a lot of buzz coming out of Sundance this year called Pleasure. Oh, I wanted to see that. It's by Ninja Thyberg. You don't seem confident about that pronunciation. It's a Swedish name. T-H-Y-Berg. Thyberg. So what's it about? It is about a Swedish girl that comes to Los Angeles with the hopes of becoming a a porn porn star. star. Okay, right. But Chell, as I was watching the film, which is very good, I mean, it's obviously very intense. I wouldn't say it's dark. I think it's a realistic portrayal of the industry. The writer-director Ninja spent years kind of infiltrating that industry. People from the industry are in the film. Cool. But I was like, this reminds me of something. And it took almost to the ending for me to realize, oh, this film is what Joe Esterhouse meant showgirls to be. And the more I think about it, and now I need you to see the film, there are so many overlaps between showgirls and this film. Because for those who know, and maybe I'm the only one who knows this, when Joe Esterhouse wrote what is now the camp classic showgirls, he originally intended it to be this searing indictment about the showgirl industry in Vegas and what women will do to each other to like rise to the top. But really it just was all about Eve with full frontal nudity. And Kyle MacLachlan fucking Elizabeth Berkley in a pool and making us all feel very uncomfortable. Puppy chow discourse. So yeah, if you are like us and love the film Showgirls, ironically or unironically, and want the best, most artistic version of that, I suggest Pleasure. Cool. I'll watch it. Um, shall we get into Sex in the City stuff? Oh boy, guys. Daddy MPK went to town, did an interview with Variety. Variety, again. <laughs> We're like parasites feeding off of Variety's nonstop and just like that coverage. So they had some showrunners issue, right? And Daddy MPK did this very lengthy 20 minute interview with Variety. Right, which they took some choice quotes from it and put it in the Sada Ramirez article that appeared a week or two before. But you watched the whole thing, right? I did. I took notes even. Yeah, there was so much. He gave us so much more than he needed to. Where should we start? The fact that they are actively writing season two and that they have hired two new writers. Spoiler alert, it's not either (laughs) of us. Which makes me wonder if someone is out or two people are out. I think so. Yeah. And I don't think it's because they weren't asked back. I think it was because they were like, oh, I actually can't handle. Oh, I think Samantha Irby was like, not worth it. Yeah, I'm good. Which sucks because her episode was the best one. So they're going to film in the fall and it will come out in summer 2023, which is how they used to make the show. Great. Which also will coincide with the 25th anniversary of the first episode of Sex in the City. Now, do you think we're going to be hired at all for an event by HBO for the 25th anniversary or nah? Maybe. Maybe this time. No. Maybe this time. They're going to go to Dan Clay, let's be honest, <laughs> and it completely makes sense. Well, they should, you know. All of us Sex in the City parasites should get, you know, an occasional HBO Max gig. I think so. Well, we did last season. It was just a Soho House event that no one went to. Oh, that we didn't host. Well, we kind of hosted it. Oh, that event. Oh, my God. I literally. <laughs> like, we literally did that for HBO Max, remember? That's true. Yeah, we did. I truly forgot. I blacked out that, like, the weekend after the season finale premiered, we did interview Molly Rogers and Danny Santiago. If anyone has more specific intel about when the filming is starting, the release date, please let us know. We will not share it publicly. It would just help us plan our lives. Yeah. I mean, we'll be like 
those extras during Biggs' funeral when Sarah Jessica Parker and Michael Patrick King told him what the scene was really about, and they all kept it a secret. Another thing that we learned was that the new season will start three weeks after the previous season ended, which you think it's too short? I mean, we haven't talked about this. I'm scared that Carrie's still going to be too widowy. Yeah, I we had assumed that there would be a time jump. Also because... The season already ends at a point that's a little bit in the future because they don't show you Samantha and Carrie's meeting. Yeah. And also what I presumed, and if I were in the writer room, of which I'm not, the storyline I would pitch is Carrie going on another book tour. Carrie being happy and dating and doing all these all of these things and writing this transformative year of magical thinking as memoir and having to deal with people like sobbing during her book tour. Yeah, it's like the vibe of like Taylor Swift promoting the 10 minute version of All Too Well. Also because- Like she's over it. Yeah. Not that Carrie's over Big Dying, obviously, but she's not deep, she's not in a state of deep grief. She has a new boyfriend potentially. Yeah, it seems like beginning the season three weeks later doesn't get us the new vibe that I think we all want from the show. But who knows? Maybe like in the first season, a couple episodes in, they're just like, uh, and six months has passed. The other thing that we learned from this interview is that Daddy MPK does agree with one criticism of the show. Do you remember what that is? That That we didn't get to see Miranda and Shay in Cleveland. Right, which he hinted at was due to some COVID-related production issue where it was like, Daddy, you didn't really need to go to Cleveland to shoot that scene. You know that, right? Just go out to Long Island City or something. Yeah, just go to one midtown hotel room. It's fine. We get the idea. But he was like, yeah, that's the one thing I will accept that we fucked up on. So he confirmed that we will see Che and Miranda in Los Angeles, which I can't wait for that. Can we be extras? Oh my God, please, someone let us be extras. Although I feel like LA slander is imminent. Oh yeah, Miranda's going to have some Woody Allen, Annie Hall-esque line about the the only thing, what's the line? The only intellectual superiority Los Angeles has is making a right on red. Oh, that's pretty funny. He was a funny guy till we all hated him. I guess he's still a funny guy. I just wish we could at the very least scout locations for Miranda and Shay because I feel like we need a scene on the Warner Brothers lot because that's where they're probably filming their oh, I mean, sitcom. Ellen's gone. Yeah. Some space has been freed up. Oh, we're definitely getting Miranda not knowing what she should do with her life. The reverse of Carrie in Paris. It's now going to be Miranda calling Carrie in Los Angeles. I really need them to go on a shopping trip to Maxfield because I feel like Che could get those like really skinny, distressed Amiri jeans and would be obsessed with them. And then maybe Miranda could get more like tie-dye dresses from the Dries store. I can almost guarantee that there'll be a scene at Akbar. I hope so. Maybe Che and Miranda go to some queer sex party up in the hills. I was about to say, or like in downtown LA. I feel like that's where that shit actually goes down. Probably. I just want them to have like a nice dinner at Pache or something, but I feel like they'll take them to Cafe Gratitude or to Craig's just to make a point about how dumb LA is. For those who don't live in LA again, Cafe Gratitude is, it feels like something out of a TV or movie parodying Los Angeles because nothing has a name that it should be. It'll be like the gracious, the thankful, and it's like a sweet potato Buddha bowl or something. (laughs) And then they'll tell you, you know, your uh, mantra for the day. For the meal or like whatever the fuck. Yeah. Whatever the food is good there. Oh my God. Can we get Miranda at Erewhon? Carrie, this soup is $17. (laughs) And then someone's like, you get money back if you return the mason jar. (laughs) Another thing that Daddy MPK acknowledged was that the fingering scene did traumatize people. Yeah, but his line about that is, it traumatized us so we didn't know what was going to be coming next, which I kind of understand what he's saying, but it's like, I assume these two are going to have an affair. Well, he also said that people are scared of things that they've never seen before. (laughs) And it's like, 
Yeah, I guess I've never seen Miranda getting fingered while Carrie pisses in her bed. Yeah. But I wasn't like traumatized necessarily. I was just shocked. And not in a bad way. Again, I love that episode. It's kind of akin to when Samantha says she's Bozo the Bush and you see a a bright orange Merkin at Brady's first birthday party. It was like that level of like, okay, I guess we're doing this. The thing that I'm obsessed with is that he is friends with Greg Araki. Yes, I love that too. And Greg Araki is like, how does it feel to have created the most polarizing character on television? It's true. We were all talking about it, whether we wanted to or not. Yeah, the Jar Jar Banks of the Sex and the City metaverse. Also, at the end of the article, he's asked which of the Sex and the City characters he feels is him. And he says, Carrie, but kind of all of them. Then he quotes uh, Margaret Cho, who says, you get two. You get a primary Zodiac sex in the city, and then you get one rising. So I'm Carrie and a Miranda. I'm Hard s- agree. Right. But like, didn't we kind of invent the like rising? I don't think we invented that. I don't know who did, but I have to assume that like someone's thought of that before. Whatever. I'm just- it's kind of obvious because some people just like are not just one thing. It would know? be crazy if... People were just one thing. And the last thing that we got DMs about nonstop for the past week is the complete clickbait from the article, which is Michael Patrick King confirmed that Samantha will be in the series, but not Kim Cattrall, which was sort of the missing point that a lot of people didn't catch, which is Carrie will unfortunately continue to text with Samantha (laughs) throughout season two. Well, The texting with Samantha always added a certain camp value that I think was entertaining. Like, I was always happy to see it, but it does kind of fuck with the realism of the show because you can't help but be reminded of all the real-life events that contributed to Samantha's absence. Yeah, I'm also realizing... They're increasingly doing AI voices. Like they did that with Val Kilmer and they've done it with a couple other things like the Anthony Bourdain talk. Oh, yeah. I mean, this would be so fucked up. But do you think they would do an AI of Samantha's voice, but it's really Kim Cattrall's voice? And I think that's where it's heading. I feel like that's where it's heading. But then it gets into the territory of, you know, Crispin Glover was never in the sequel to Back to the Future. They just took a cast of his face, put it on a different actor. So Crispin Glover sued the Universal and Robert Zemeckis. And so now there is a law that you kind of can't do that. I wonder if the Crispin Crispin's law. (laughs) Crispin's law. (laughs) It's not a law. It's it's a precedent. Maybe I spoke too too soon. But well, yeah, there should be laws against that. But I wonder if this is the new digital age version of that of like, you can't just AI recreate anyone's voice you want to. (laughs) Yeah, that seems like stepping out of line, but I would not put it past them. I'm still surprised that we didn't get, like, the back of Samantha's head. I know. That's the other... Like, if you're going to go this far, why not? Yeah. So that's why I think there's going to be a quote-unquote FaceTime call, but you only... You see Carrie holding her iPhone, and you just hear an AI recreation of Kim Cattrall's voice. Yeah. And then we could get a messy lawsuit between Kim Cattrall and Warner Brothers. Great. Here for it. Moving on. Happy Pride, Chelsea. Oh, thanks. So first up, while you were gone, the actress Rebel Wilson came out in a uh, Instagram post. She wrote, I thought I was searching for a Disney prince. I really wish Tat was here so she could do the Australian accent. I wish I could imitate an Australian accent at this point. It's crazy that I'm so shitty. I know. But maybe what I really needed all this time was a Disney princess. Heart emoji, rainbow emoji, heart emoji. Hashtag love is love. Another Disney adult. I'm always fascinated by a high femme couple, especially when both of them are blonde and really tan. I kind of love it. Like, I follow a bunch of couples on Instagram that are like this. I think it's fascinating. Do you think this is just an example of she just wanted to fuck herself? Yeah, there definitely are couples that are like that, but I don't know. I don't know. But I did read a page six article about this, which is five things you did not know about (laughs) Rebel Wilson's new girlfriend. This is truly the modern, the modern nightmare, I feel like for a millennial, one of which is having your text messages written out of context and without, (laughs) out of context and without the tone you intended in court. 
And the other mm-hmm. one is having some clickbait infotainment article about yourself because you started dating a tangentially famous person. Yes. And I get that a lot of times with these pieces, people are pulling this information from someone's Instagram account. But whoever wrote this did nothing, actually. Okay, because number one is she's a Cali girl, so she lives in California. Great. Number two is she stays under the radar. (laughs) Because you've never heard of her until now? Yeah. And she doesn't have a public Instagram account, but she has over 30,000 followers. So it's like you're just approving everyone. I requested her from from every outfit. So we'll see if we can get any more intel from this woman's Instagram account. She's a fashionista. She has a clothing line called Lemon V Limon. Spoiler alert, there's a lot of lemon motifs. And it's just like an LA, you know, clothing line. Pretty boring. This one, she knows how to bling it on. Excuse me? Not only does she run a clothing brand, but Agruma is also a brand ambassador for the jewelry and watch brand Be Goddess. So clearly she just has a friend with a jewelry and watch brand and like did one post about the watch or whatever. And uh, lastly, she was hidden in plain sight, which I find really funny. And this was accompanied by a photo of them at the Vanity Fair Oscar party this past year. Wow. I wonder if there was an article about Rebel Wilson and her gal pal from the time. Hidden in plain sight is just very funny. Although it's not like they were just photographed, like talking at this party. They did the carpet together. Yeah. Which is a weird move for a secret couple. And also, she only came out now because we've come to learn that the Sydney Morning Herald was going to out her and gave her two days to give them a comment. And instead, she just, I was about to say outed herself, but that feels so 2008. Yeah. She came out on Instagram. And then the the editor for the paper was like, oh, yeah, we did that. And then two days later, once he saw the reaction to that, was like, I mean, we didn't really, but like, yeah, we were, but like, we weren't going to really do it. Anyway, don't hate us. Yeah. Congratulations to them. Happy Pride Month. (laughs) Speaking of pride, Christina Aguilera wore a bedazzled strap-on to a pride performance. Yeah, what is the um, Hulk motif that seems to be going through Los Angeles right now between Psalm West's uh, Hulk fist cake... Extina had a almost Hulk esque. Yeah, she had corset. It, ha- it had like a Hulk like breastplate with biceps, the strap on, and then fishnets. It was a pretty fierce look, I think. Is that something I'm missing in the gay community? Have they adopted the Hulk as their masthead? I don't think so. It does feel a bit like the trickle down effect of the Scaparelli Hulk stuff. Right. But I thought it was very fun, perfect for pride. In other Pride news, Amber Valletta and Shalom Harlow made out in a new Mugler video. Congrats to them. <laughs> it was genuinely shocking because they feel like stepsisters at this point. Like there's so much shared history between them that it's kind of bizarre to see them make out when they're both like pushing 50. But I thought it was great, obviously. Yeah, they're just gal pals on a car kissing each other. They're hot. Everyone in that video was hot. Megan the Stallion was hot. It's just kind of perfect. I thought it was great. I want all of those pieces. I want a pair of jeans with cutouts where my ass is completely out. Those were the sluttiest jeans I've ever seen in my life. And I mean that as a compliment. Oh, yeah. In other GLBTQIA plus news, Jennifer Hudson now has an EGOT. Why do we have her under this? <laughs> Because it seems like the kind of thing that only gay people would care about. Ah, got it, got it, got it. Also, she did win a Tony, which is gay. And she won a Tony for producing A Strange Loop, which does have a queer protagonist. So it does kind of tie in. Yes. And you asked me what she won her Emmy for. And um, it's a daytime Emmy. But, you know, <laughs> what, in EGOT terms, all Emmys are equal. Daytime, nighttime. For best interactive media as an executive producer for Baba Yaga. Okay. So wait. So two of these are for producing. Look, it all counts. Yeah, of course it counts. I'm not saying it doesn't count. It and was... what was the Oscar for? Sex in the City? <laughs> Dream Girls, as you know. Did you see Dream Girls in the theater? Absolutely not. Really? No. You missed out. People like stood up and clapped after she did her big number. 
I'm sorry I missed that. <laughs> How will I live? So congrats, J-Hud. All right, I think that's all the news fit to print, as they say. Fit to uh, gab about. Shall we go on to Kardashians? Sure. Kardashaholics Anonymous. This is a case for the FBI. <laughs> Where do you want to start? Kim fucking up the Marilyn Monroe dress? Sure. So earlier this week, Scott Fortnier, a Monroe historian who oversees the Marilyn Monroe collection, which collects the actor's personal property and archives, shared several photos on Instagram that appear to show the gown's condition before and after the Met Gala. Without question, the damage is significant, Fortner wrote in one post, noting that there are missing crystals and some left hanging by a thread. Yeah, she did damage it. You couldn't return a dress to Zara in this condition and get a refund. But does the fact that it was damaged from this controversial, hugely publicized event make it more historically significant than it was before? For sure. I mean, now we kind of want to go to Ripley's and visit it. (laughs) Yeah, I will see this the second I am in Fort Lauderdale. But to be fair, the photos that were taken, the before and after, are very deceptive. Like, the first one has incredible lighting. It's like the official photo from the website. And the other one is like a flash photo. You know what I mean? It's like a slim fast ad from the early 2000s. Yes, exactly. I sent you this tweet and I'm obsessed with it. No offense, but I literally could not care less that Kim Kardashian messed up Marilyn Monroe's dress. I will never afford a home. This person replies, I would tear that dress apart with my bare hands and eat it if it meant meant I could buy a home. I understand the sentiment, but I don't totally agree because just because the world is like a profoundly unequal place doesn't mean that like art isn't important or worth preserving or whatever. Like, I don't think it needs to be like an either or thing. Although I do think it's funny. Well, according to Amanda Joyner, Ripley's VP of Publishing and Licensing, who released a statement to TMZ saying that from the bottom of the Met steps where Kim got into the dress to the top where it was returned, the dress was in the same condition it started in. Ripley's added that since they purchased the dress, it has been displayed around the world, which has also put the dress at risk of being damaged. As Oprah once said, what's the truth? (laughs) Yeah. I guess I do think it's wrong to damage the happy birthday Mr. President dress for the sake of one's own vanity. But like... You said president. Yeah, so did Marilyn Monroe. Oh, okay. (laughs) You did that on purpose. I would sooner die than fuck up that dress. But I think that the conversation around it makes it all worthwhile. It's fascinating to me. Oh, yeah. I mean, again, we want to go visit that dress. (laughs) Yeah, it worked. It worked. But I understand why Kardashian haters are so upset. I wonder if the same reaction would be had if it was someone that was more beloved. Like if Nicole Kidman did this? Of course not. Yeah, or Beyonce or something. Although I guess Beyonce did get shit from that Blood Diamond controversy recently. Oh, the Tiffany campaign. Yeah. But they didn't say shit when Lady Gaga wore that same diamond. (laughs) Moving on, Black China's lawyer says that Kris Jenner is trying to financially ruin his client by making her pay the $391,000 lawyer fee that was incurred during their lawsuit. Well, Black China took them to court, though. Right. It wasn't like Chris took her to court. Right. And then the Kardashian Jenners filed demanding that Black China pay them back all of their legal fees. I kind of think that's fair. I mean, yeah, they should be the bigger person and just get over it because it's dreams. Wait, dream? Yeah, dream. I forgot which one. It's Dream's mom. But at the same time, Dream's mom came after them with the intention of fleecing them out of money. So that just seems like a normal reaction. It's funny for a family that talks about not being haters and being positive. They're being quite the sore winners right now. Well, I don't I don't think it's that fucked up. They didn't want to go to court, so they shouldn't have to pay for it, especially if Black China lost, which she should have. But isn't it ultimately their money? I mean, if Black China can't pay this back and she's paying it back with what? That's true. What Rob gives her in child support, which comes from Chris anyway. I'm sorry. I don't think Arthur George is paying the child support. But I'm sure that Black China has her own revenue streams that we're just not privy to. Stay tuned for how that pans out. 
So we have not one, but two, the final two Kardashian episodes to discuss. Great. Do you want to discuss how you feel about the season thus far? Or you just want to go to... <sighs> no, let's just go. Let's go into the penultimate episode. I mean, I think we can talk about them both as one. What's the difference? There's so much overlap anyway. That's true. Courtney Kardashian ate quail's eggs in Galliano newsprint. Although I couldn't really focus on that because I was more confused about this lunch configuration where... They're eating in her bedroom. I know that was so weird. But at a coffee table on the floor. Yeah, very weird. Discussing the edits for the upcoming season. I really loved that because we learned that Courtney was very unhappy with the way that the show was edited, the episode where her and Kravis got engaged. And I thought that was so cool to bring that into the show. Why not? Yeah, I think the best parts of this new show is them breaking the fourth wall in that way. However, it's a little disingenuous to be like, why aren't they focusing on the positive? It's like, you've been on this show for the last 14 years. Yeah, but maybe she had hopes for a different show. I mean, Steph Shep was on her side, but did have to be like, I mean, if I was watching it, I would want to know what Scott's reaction was. But I understand her point around the amount of time that was spent on that conversation that did seem to dominate the entire engagement dinner. Right, and her point was that it is only a small portion of what happened in that dinner. I guess Landon's uh, best man speech at the dinner did not attract much attention from the editors. Yeah. They were like, let's focus on what, uh, let's focus on Penelope crying over FaceTime. Meanwhile, Kim was on the cover of Sports Illustrated, swimsuit issue. What a good multitasker. She's like, I got a skim shoot, I got a Sports Illustrated shoot, and I'm sick as shit. Yeah. In the episode before this episode, I did think it was weird that they didn't show what Pete had given her, only for them to pick it up in this most recent episode and be like, this is what Pete gifted you for everyone. It's dibs. Yeah, that was not an exciting reveal, especially when we're used to like, it's a hologram of Robert Kardashian. Well, I think they're showing the juxtaposition of the two boyfriends, that this delights her just as much as a hologram of her dead father. Although seeing dibs did remind me of our beloved Arclight, which used to <laughs> offer dibs. Yeah, I wanted to bring some over today, but I totally forgot about that. Also, during one of the confessionals, the producer asked her if she was in love with Pete, and she was basically like, I'm going to keep that to myself. So, Which means yes. yes. Which means yes. Although I did see a TikTok that was like, um, clearly she's not in love because she didn't admit it. It's like, how can two people read a situation so differently? She clearly is in love with him and doesn't want to say it. Yeah, and she's like, I'm not giving the scoop to this fucking show. <laughs> but I think the most major thing about these episodes was, of course, the Tristan of it all. Right, which is the end of the episode. I thought you were going to say when Courtney and Kendall go to the juvenile shop in Sherman Oaks <laughs> and have to collect all the Madame Alexandra dolls for... Yeah. For Chris. See, I could I could do without that. <laughs> I do like Chris uh, not being able to pronounce Caccio e Pepe, though. Yes, the episode ends with another bit of kind of fourth wall breaking, which is the producers realizing something's happening and to just go into Kim's gym at 6.30 in the morning. And it's her having found the injunction that Tristan filed. The thing that threw me for a loop was I didn't realize how long this must have been going on until this very last episode yeah that he went through a whole deposition got lawyers and hid that from her that's as fucked up as actually just sleeping with someone the more fucked up even i would say i would say more fucked yeah. up but the bit of fourth wall breaking that i love is kim just being like fuck why does this always happen when i'm filming <laughs> like her being a little annoyed of like god damn it of all the days I also love how she has to acknowledge that after Kylie on the phone says, is Tristan the worst person on the planet? And she's like, hold on, hold on I'm filming I'm right filming. now. <laughs> but also, yes, he yeah. is. When Chloe started sobbing yeah. on the phone, I started sobbing. And when Kim pushes her hand down to be like, all right, stop, we're not filming this. Ugh, it's so unfair. He is the worst person. Do you think that Chris is like, you know what? I think Chloe deserves a bonus. 
this season. Like, I know we all dole out, or I don't know. I would love to know what the percentage is. Clearly, Kyle and Kendall do not get as much as Kim, Chloe, and Courtney. Yeah. I wonder what Corey Gamble gets for the show, other than the position of head of security of Jenner household. I wonder what, like, Steph, Shep, and Lala and Food God get. I think that's a, we gave you your entire career. I think they get something. Maybe. I, but I don't think it's as much as you think it is. Yeah, that's why I want to know how much it is. If yeah. anyone knows. I love when they have this family meeting and it's like, Chloe isn't coming. And it's like, you know, you could just, I mean, in very healthy boundaries, but you know, you could just walk across the way and be like, how you doing, Chloe? <laughs> they're acting as if they're 25 miles away. They are just a driveway separating the two of them. Yeah, this was all very sad. It was a sad note to end the season on. Are you surprised that this is where it ended? I thought we were at least going to get into the Kanye tweets. Well, it's been really hard for me to understand when this all happened just because of how newsworthy this family is. But what caused me to figure out just how great the lag is is when Chris recorded her holiday song. Right. (laughs) Which, obviously, this happened... After Thanksgiving, because they had the holiday Starbucks cups. (laughs) So that's where the season finale happened. Right. Before Christmas. I I couldn't even tell you what's happened since then. So much. I hope that they've padded out the season, because then that's even more fucked up that in December, Courtney was seeing edits for an episode that debuted in April. It's fine, because at least, like, in the case of the Sports Illustrated, like, that issue just came out. So it does oddly feel relevant. I just bought it. I had to go to several newsstands to find it, but I found one. Because it was sold out, or? Because it has multiple covers, and one is Mae Musk, and I think one is Sierra... And there was an abundance of those ones and not an abundance of Kim. Shocking. Yeah. I mean, the episode was slightly anticlimactic for the point that I think we're all where Chloe is, where obviously she's upset. She's keeping everything in. But I mean, what can you react to? It's the betrayal. And the most telling scene that I was like, all of you need to get therapy is when Kim is on the bed with Chloe and she hints at the craziness of her marriage to Kanye. And she's like, if people only knew what I experienced. Yeah, they would be shocked, basically. And it's like, um, Kim, we all knew. But they're discussing the fact that no one in this family, despite how interconnected they are, helps other family members set boundaries like there's one thing not to butt into a relationship and I totally understand a relationship taking its course but I'm sorry after the Jordan Woods thing someone should have been like you need to have healthy boundaries yeah yeah I agree and someone should have come to Kim and been like Kanye is not well at the very least after the Chris John Un thing yeah I don't know if that is the sisters metabolizing Chris's marriage to daddy as Chris loves to call him and the need to make it work for the family's sake they're obsessed with making it work for the family's sake and guess what it never works and it's so weird because it seems like a part of the kardashian jenner mythos was they were able to make a blended family work so it's so weird that courtney kim and chloe have all had these dealings with men where they stayed way beyond they should have because of this obsession of well now i can say i did everything i could Yeah, when they're very good at having blended families. Yes, there's something about sticking through a marriage, certainly. But then there's a certain point that all of them have gotten into where it feels like emotional masochism. Yeah. Well, that happens in a lot of relationships. But there's a humiliation level to it when you're one of the Kardashians that seems incomprehensible to a civilian. But as Kim said, we can deal with really tough shit and it's true they can but a certain part of and i hate the phrase self-care but a certain part of self-care is going oh i don't need this i don't deserve this and that seems to be where kim is currently yeah i do have a theory about chloe okay and i call this from kind of chloe's interview she's done where she's always felt like she was the ugly sister the fat sister you know because this show came out of nowhere they, they will fully admit, oh, we just got put on E because we were filler, because a show that they were originally going to do fell out, that 
I almost wonder, and this is pop psychology, Lauren, but because she feels like she didn't deserve this recognition that she needs to like punish herself in different ways. It's almost like I need to be with these men who cheat on me because it's almost this self-fulfilling prophecy of like, see, right. I didn't deserve happiness. I didn't deserve this person. Like, God, that's so dark. I hope that's not the case. I'm just saying what I want for Chloe is she needs a new era and she needs a glow up just like her sisters have recently had. She has. Have you seen her body? It's bonkers. I'm not talking about her body. Although the blonde hair, I think, could go. But. I'm talking about she needs to become a lesbian because it's the only way and have like a hot stud girlfriend. It is literally the only way that she can like do something different from her sisters that we haven't seen from a Kardashian yet. A WNBA star? I'd rather not basketball just because, you Previous. know. Yeah, yeah. I think she needs to do not basketball, but... Something like that. I know this is maybe the most problematic pairing, but Scott and Chloe? Again, she deserves more than Scott. And she needs to do something that can make waves. Oh, that's right. We need content, content, content. That's content with a K. Yeah. Well, I have no idea when the next season's coming back, which will get the birth of Kylie's second child, Wolf, changing the baby's name, from Wolf to we still don't know. I still can't believe they skipped over Astro World completely. Oh, yeah. Because guess what? We forgot about it. Until we were like, wait, hold on. <laughs> when does this, when do these episodes take place again? So, yeah, we've got all of those things. We've got Kanye's complete fucking meltdown and the fight with the two of them. Pete entering the chat. Pete and Kim at the Met. Marilyn Gate. Yeah, Marilyn Gate. Or are they really just going to be assholes and be like... Oh, and Courtney's wedding. But that's what I'm saying is like, that should be all of the second part of this season. And if they break it up, like if they do Met and Court's wedding for like the third installment of this season, well, there's nothing I'm going to do. I'm going to keep watching it, but I'll be very (laughs) upset. (laughs) All right. Enough Kardashian chatter for this week. Yeah. Chelsea's famished. She's reaching for the Mm. chips that are at this table. Yeah, I'm tired. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 